you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn there to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, or chapter 1, excuse me. Uh, if you're using this Bible, it's page 989, I think. Yeah, 989. The sermon summary is, in response to glorification, walk, walk worthy. Walk worthy. This morning, or this afternoon, I, I kind of want to do a, a high-level overview of glorification in the life of a believer. And when I do that, I want to do that by looking at a particular prayer that we find in this second letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that, and we're going to see how, what, does, what does it tell us about God and the work that God is doing, um, particularly around glorification and um, sanctification, and then our response to that. And you can see here... Um, we're to walk worthy. And so we're going to look at what does that mean to walk worthy? So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, let's go ahead and read it. Uh, if you could stand, let's stand for um, God's words. We're going to read in verse 11, and then we're going to read verse 12. So just these two verses. It says this, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you walk make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. This is a good word from the Lord. Um, As I was reflecting on this, I was just so encouraged by it, and I pray that you too will find great joy as we reflect on these things. You can take your seats. You know, when we think about salvation, the order of salvation, uh, we probably have a pretty developed understanding of, of different elements in this golden chain that some call it. You know, we think of justification, foreknowledge, you know, sanctification, election, predestination. We kind of have a good understanding of that, right? We can, we can explain it. We can understand what the scriptures say about those things. We can see how our lives are changed by each one of those items. But whenever we think about glorification, I feel like that's something that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about. We, we know I'm going to be glorified in the end. Christ returns, new bodies. But it's, it's almost something that's just in the back of our minds, something that we we know to be true, but how does that change the way we live now? And that's sort of the question I want us to think about, is if we know that there's going to be a day when Christ will return, and in that day when he comes, we will be glorified, does that change anything for us now? And I don't know if y'all have spent time thinking about that, um, but as I, I was preparing for, for this afternoon and reading through this uh, passage, um, that like, was kind of born in, in my heart. Um, and I wanted to just share that with y'all as we go through this passage here. You know, as followers of Christ, we know that Christ is coming back. That's a, it's a small statement. We can say it very quickly. Um, but it's so significant. It's so significant. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we work. It changes the motivation for the decisions that we make. Here and now. His coming affects us now. 
We want to be found working. We want to be found uh, when he returns doing his will. Not ashamed. He comes back and he's delighting. He is pleased. He sees us. He comes and he sees us and he sees, this is my faithful son, this faithful daughter who has who's been working, who's believed that I would come again and has prepared themselves and has continued walking um, in, that, in, that, in that faith, in that trust. In, in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, he instructs them about several things, but one thing that we find in both of these letters is that there's an emphasis on Christ's return. They, they talk about a lot about the day of the Lord and the judgment that will come when Christ comes. And in the first letter that Paul writes, he comforts them, telling them that, that God will even bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Because they're worried, well, if, what about those who've died? When Christ comes, are they, are they left? Will they not have a resurrection? And so he, he, he kind of explains that to them in the first letter. In the second letter, one of the themes that he hits on is that um, you haven't missed it. Don't fear. You haven't missed his second coming. And so Paul writes to them, and he writes to them with great joy. Actually, the letters of the Thessalonian letters are actually some of the only um, positive letters that he writes. You know, we've been going through Galatians, and you can see how um, these these Galatians are um, sort of uh, a shame for for Paul and his ministry. He comes to you like, how is it that you've been so bewitched so easily? You come and you're, you're believing another gospel. You can see that even in the letter of the Corinthians, these, these people who are just divided, divisive, going after each other in Romans, he, he calls out some individuals as well. Um, but in Thessalonians, he writes a, a very positive letter. He's very encouraged by these, these people. He loves them. And he's bounding in thankfulness and joy because their faith is visibly present. They're living, how I would say, worthy of their calling. They're living in a way knowing that Christ is coming back. They're looking for it. And that's why he keeps bringing up this theme. Don't worry, those who fall asleep, they will be raised with him on his return. And also, don't worry, you didn't miss it. So he's encouraging them, continue walk in faithfulness as you are right now, even in the midst of great persecution and affliction, which is what they were facing. If you, if you look with me in that same chapter that we were in, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we see here, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. It's such a, such a beautiful thing. He's, he's thanking the Lord for them because their faith is growing so much, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And I pray that that's... That can be said of us as a body of believers. We're growing in our faith. We are increasing in our love for one another. And then verse 4, he says this. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness in, uh, and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. You know, there's a lot of things he can be thankful for. He sees that their faith are growing. He sees that they're preserving in the faith. They're holding fast to the teaching that they had received initially. Um, but what does he boast about to the churches of God? As he's traveling around, as he's, as he's meeting with other people um, all throughout um, Asia, he's, he's telling them about this one body of believers 
who are enduring suffering and persecution and affliction, but they're enduring in it. And they are steadfast to the Lord and they're steadfast in their faith. How, how, how wonderful would that be for, for us? And we see that their suffering is purposeful. It's, it's doing something. We see that in verse 5. It says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considered it, considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So, and so you see, he's, 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 he's bringing them to this judgment day that's going to come when Christ returns. When Christ comes, he's going to set things right. So he reminds them of the gospel, and he goes and he talks about the bad news first, right? In verse 9, those who, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord, he says in verse 8, in verse 9, he says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed. He gives them the bad news. Those who are part from Christ, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, there's a consequence. The consequence is they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. We know this. I think we, we all know this. When we heard the message of the gospel first, we, we had to reconcile the fact that we ourselves are sinners. And we, we knew, and I'm hoping, you know, when a person was presenting the gospel to y'all, you heard of, you know, the consequences of our sin. Hopefully they quickly brought you to the, the beauty and the, and the majesty and the grace of our Lord and Savior Christ. But you had to wrestle with the fact that there is a, a punishment for those who disobey, who reject the gospel. That changes us now. We know when Christ comes, yes, we can, we can dwell on the fact that we're going to be glorified, but we should be reminded of the fact that those who disobey, those who reject the gospel, they will not be glorified. Glorification is not for everybody. There's, there's not a, a universalism that we hold on to. We're not saying everyone's going to be saved. Everyone will be glorified. Everyone will become, become new creations. And, and you, know, in, in the, you know, in the afterlife, after we, we pass from this physical world into eternity, we will all you know, have you know, sinless, perfect bodies, feel no pain, because that's not what the Scriptures tell us. So when we think of, of glorification, we, we're, we have that so closely attached to Christ's coming and that should make us see the world differently because we see our neighbors who don't know the lord we have co-workers who don't know the lord you know when you go out and maybe you're witnessing in the streets or in the highways and the byways and the universities or the abortion mill or wherever you go you you're going to encounter people who who don't know the lord and you know that there will not be a glorification for them when Christ returns. And so we, we, we should have an urgency to share the message of the gospel. We should guard the gospel like we've been learning in Galatians, but we should also have an urgency to share the gospel. I was, um, I was on a work trip this past week, and 
Um, I was doing a run through the, the city, and I found this. It's probably one of the most beautiful churches I've ever seen uh, in my life. It was um, just beautiful. Um, and they have on the, on the walkways leading up, it's maybe 100 feet from the parking lot that you have to walk up these walkways up to the, to the church. And they have on the floor, in, carved in the, in the concrete, um, from the apostles all the way on, uh, many of the martyrs of the faith, many of the, the great figures of the faith. And I was just, as I was walking up, I, you know, I, I saw the church and I was like, wow, this is, this is beautiful. I hope this is a Christian church. <laughs> so <laughs> I went and saw the sign. I was like, okay, cool. Um, and then as I was walking up to really look at the building, um, I, I noticed all these things and it's just, I was just overwhelmed at, at how each of these men that were, that were, that I was walking on their names, um, they were, they endured. They, they stayed faithful. They, they had in mind this coming glory. They knew Christ was coming. And they lived not just with grateful hearts saying, well, you know, there's going to be a day where I'm going to be saved, and so I'm just going to enjoy this life, and because I, but know that something better is going to come and, and just do my own thing. No, they, they lived sacrificially. They went out and they... And they, they preached and they, they reached out to those who were lost. They rescued those who were heading towards slaughter and they said, come. Come, I have, I can show you the way to life. And it was just like a, such a, a small thing as I was walking up that and, and, and just made me just reflect on, on how, how easy it is for me to forget and maybe y'all can um, relate, it's, it's so easy for me to forget that Christ's coming should impact me now. That, that yeah, yes, I know he's coming, and, and we can cry out, Maranatha. We can cry, cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. But it should affect us now. When we, when we, I think when we truly understand glorification, that doctrine, it will change us. And we'll, we'll look at that in a little when we look at this, this prayer, but we see here one of the ways it changes us is that we, we recall the good news of the gospel and we, we share it, we proclaim it, because we know that there will be those who will suffer eternal consequence if they disobey the gospel, but they cannot, they, they're, they're not going to disobey unless they hear it. And this is not to say that if someone doesn't hear the gospel, they will just automatically be saved. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that we should see our place in here in actually being active and going and preaching the gospel. We think of Romans 10, right? We go. We, they hear and they can believe because they've heard because someone has been sent to proclaim the word. Blessed are those feet that carry the good news. We live in a world that has, yes, ever-increasing hostility towards Christ. Yeah, we see that. We see that everywhere. Because they hate God. They are haters of God. And so because they hate God, they're going to hate those who want to image him, who want to better reflect him in this world, who want to be more like the Son and walk in obedience. Because of that, yes, they're going to hate us, and there's going to be great persecution. There's going to be afflictions. And will what is said of us be, we boasted of you? because of your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. Will that be said of us? You know, in, 
in um, earlier this week, I was reading in Sudan about a man, Butris Badawi, a, a Christian, um, who's an advisor to the actual the, the religious um, ambassador or the religious affairs ambassador in Sudan. Um, and because he continually, uh, you know, instructed him in, in Christianity and was trying to, you know, spread the message of the, the church, um, on his way home, they, they stopped his vehicle, they took him out of the car, and they, they beat him to near death and said, don't ever talk about Christ. And a couple of months ago, a pastor um, um, was imprisoned for just trying to implant a church in Sudan. In Canada, you can read of churches being burned down. In Myanmar, churches and several other religious groups are being targeted and killed. In Bhutan, uh, pastors and uh, Christian um, social relief workers are actually being captured and they're being thrown into prisons. Um, I shared in, in one of the prayer meetings, one of the, the praise reports that came from one of these individuals actually being thrown into jail. They put him in with all the murderers and the thieves and... Um, he started preaching to them the gospel, and three of them got saved. We could, we could praise the Lord for things like that. But it's, it, was, it was an active work of obedience on their part to face persecution, to face afflictions, and know, I know this, this temporary suffering is not anything worthy to the glory that I'll receive later on. And so I'm going to endure through persecution. I'm going to face afflictions of, of all sorts and various kinds, and I'm going to endure because I, I want my God to be glorified. Yes, we're going we're gonna to be glorified. Yeah, glorification teaches that. But in, in light of that, we, we live not expecting and, and desiring only for us to be glorified. We, we live for him to be glorified. And I think that's what we see here in this prayer. And so we'll finally hear um, verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. This is, this is Paul's desire for Almost every believer that he ever wrote to, you think in Ephesians chapter 4, we read these words, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the, God, the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in bond and peace. In Philippians in chapter 1, we read um, these words, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not frightened anything by your opponents. Walking worthy. In Colossians chapter 1, he says it like this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then verse 10, he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He desires, Paul's great desire, his great prayer, he says, I pray for you. I'm always, I'm always in prayer for you. That, you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Another place is that you will walk worthy of his calling. What does that mean? What does that mean to be made worthy? 
What does that mean to walk in a way that is worthy? I think Romans 6 sheds some light on this question in a a very clear way. He says this in verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're walking in a way that's worthy. We are walking in what he describes as newness of life. To walk is to live. But it's, it's, to walk is to, to have a pattern, a way of living. It's the ordinary things that we do. But it's more than just the things that we do, the, the actions that we take, the patterns or the habits or the routines. It's, it's more than that. Let, let me give you an example. Um, in, uh, each June, um, it's, our, it's Monica and I, our anniversary, and so we always, we always try to take a trip somewhere. Um, we flip-flop. One year is a big, big, big vacation. Another year is a small vacation. We always try to do something every, every June just to kind of celebrate. Um, and um, imagine, you know, next year, um, June comes, and we, you know, we go somewhere special. I take her out to you know, a lot of you know, good places to eat. We had go on all these different excursions, have a bunch of adventures, and just have a, a great time. I give her a gift, and you know, we just have a lot of fun. And then she says, Alex, you must really love me. Thanks for you know, planning everything out and taking me to this place and letting me see all these wonderful things. And, and then I said, well, you know, it's just tradition. I just have to do it. You know, uh, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really care to do any of these things, but I'm bound by tradition. You set a pattern, and now I just, you know, I'm just walking in the pattern. I, I, she's not going to be very pleased <laughs> by that. Um, maybe she'll get a little angry, probably more sad than anything. But um, that's not at all what is being described here. When we're saved, when, when we're justified and we're walking in sanctification, we're walking in the newness of life to be pleasing to our Father, it's, it's not this idea that we're just doing, like we're reading, we're reading this Bible, and we're like, okay, well, you know, I, you know, I shouldn't lie, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop lying. And so, okay, I don't really want to stop lying, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Um, there's a desire to do that. And of course, that's of God. That's a grace of God that we have this new desires. So we're made into new creations. Um, it, but it's, it's not something that we're just doing out of, of habit or routine or because you know, it's formulaic or, or anything like that or we're trying to earn something for ourselves. It's intentional. You know, we talk a lot about God's, God's sovereignty, God's decree. God's decreed everything from the beginning to the end. He knows what's going to happen. Nothing that we do is going to surprise him. But we can't remove from that the fact that we also are responsible. Philippians even talks about that. We work out our salvation in fear and trembling, but then it says right after that, it is him who is working in and through you. We don't remove that responsibility that we have to actually walk in it. You know, if we, everyone knows the, I think, the answer to this question, right? What is the chief end of man? Y'all can all answer that. The chief end of man is to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. But I think the follow-up question is equally important. And it's not in the catechism, but it's something that I always think. It's, am I living truly as, as though that is my chief end? That everything, that the chief end means it's, it's the end all of everything. That means every decision that I make, every action that I take, every thought that I think, every word that I speak, everything is, is pointing me in a particular direction. 
And that chief end is his glory and to enjoy him. We can, we can say that, we can, we can answer that question, but then do we answer the next question of, is that really our chief end? And Paul's prayer is that they, they will be made worthy of that calling. That they will be pleasing to the Lord. That we'll, they will be pleasing. It's, I know, I know myself. I'm, y'all, y'all know your hearts. We are not worthy. Which makes this verse so amazing. That this prayer so amazing. That we see that although we are unworthy, he is making us worthy. I don't know if y'all notice who the actor is here. You see that in verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. It's, it's God who is working in us to make us worthy. Yeah, we think of verses like Colossians chapter 3, where it says, um, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, um, giving thanks to God our Father. Or we can think of 1 Corinthians 10.31, right? Whether we eat, drink, whatever it is that we do, we do it all for the glory of, of God. We put a lot of emphasis on that, but I, I also want us to, to remember that, yes, we are to walk in a way that's worthy, but don't forget that God is working in us. He's working in you. He's not absent. He is making unworthy people worthy by making us more like his son. And there's going to be a day, glorification, where we will finally reach that intended end. What a good thing. What a comforting thing. I, it, it, I don't have to do it all on my own. Yes, we're called to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, we're called to mortify our flesh, to abstain from sin, to love our brother, to bridle our tongues, to seek him with prayer and fasting. We're called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're supposed to do good works. We're supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to love our church. We're supposed to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to our Lord. We're supposed to do all these things, but... It's also God who's working in us. We can't overlook that fact. Every work of faith is by his power. That's, to me, super encouraging, especially in times when I failed him. It's really encouraging to me in times when I'm just, I, I just feel spiritually just drained. I just feel so, so tired. And, and I, I, I have... And I pray it's a sincere desire to, to, you know, bring him praise and to be pleasing to him. But I just, and maybe y'all, y'all can think of times in your life where you just, you just, you just cannot, you just feel like you physically can't do it yourselves. And I want to encourage you to, to look to the God who, who's doing it in you. To trust in him. To endure. I think that's just a truly amazing thing. He knows I failed, and yet he chose a sinner such as I, such as you. And he's, he's still working. He sees us. He sees us in all of our sins. He knows all the sins we would commit. And, he's, and it's still, our God is making us worthy of his calling. It's like, Lord, why? Why would you, why would you choose me? Why would you choose any of us? Why would you freely give us this grace? 
that apart from it, we would also suffer what they suffer in verse 9, punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Away. Why, do, why would you do that? Verse 12, I think, answers that question. It says this, so that. Why does he do it? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, in you and him, according to the grace of our God. Lord Jesus Christ. He does it so that Christ may be glorified. And, and I think we can, we can wrap our heads around that. We want to live for his glory. But this, there's a part in there, there's a small phrase inside of this verse that it always throws me off a little bit. But the first part is easy to make sense and then understand. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Yeah, we live in a way, we, he's making us worthy of our calling so that Christ will be glorified. But then notice what it says right after that. It says, and you in him. We will be glorified as well. Christ is, is ultimately the one who is getting all the glory. The name of Christ is glorified in us by our actions, by our deeds, by our words, our speech, everything. But, but also, he says, Part of his, his purpose for making us worthy of his calling is so that we may share in that glory. You and you in him. We may be glorified in Christ. And that, that, that throws me off sometimes. Because we know that for from him and to him and through him and all things are created by him. To him be glory forever. And we're, we know, you know Corinthians where it tells us to glorify God in our bodies, but here and you in him, that this is where glorification comes. You see, glorification is a result of us being made worthy. They're tied together. We're being made worthy. We can think of sanctification, but the sanctification is leading somewhere. It's leading us to glorification. We see that in Romans chapter 8. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he, he glorified. He glorifies us. We will be glorified in, in him. That, how does that work out? It works out as we are being made more like him. We share in that glory. We receive all the glory. Um, we are, he receives all the glory. And, he's, and Christ is, of course, glorified by the Father. He's glorified by us. But we are also glorified because we, as we are made in the likeness of Christ, which is the culmination of sanctification. We're actually made like him. We're glorified. We're given eternal bodies. We are given uh, a body that is without sin, without death. This is really the pinnacle of the life of a believer, to be glorified in him, to be glorified in Christ. James Grant put it like this, theologian. He said, the grace of God will work in such a way as to make us participants in the life of Christ. And on that day when Jesus returns, we will be completely transformed into his image. Sin and death will be removed and we will dwell eternally with him. What a good thing. In response to glorification, when we think about that, I, I pray that uh, it won't just be something that we look forward to way off in the future or whenever you know, Christ should you know, come. My, my prayer is that when we think of glorification, that changes us. We say, Lord, you, you're going to glorify us because of your son. 
I want to live in a way that glorifies your son. I want to be, I want to be pleasing to you, which is what this verse tells us. It says, we can actually be pleasing to God. We can live in such a way that makes him, makes him happy, makes him smile. I know these things are not unfamiliar to you, but I, I do want us to pause in the middle of this year and just ask of ourselves two questions, just two questions. And the first question is this. Is Christ being glorified in me? Is he being glorified in me? In my work, in the way that I raise my children, in the way that I speak with those who are on the opposite side of the table on any sort of issue, in the way that I think about those who are on the opposite side of the table. This is something that Paul prayed for the believers to do. Not to wait until Christ returns to have Christ be glorified in us, but for that to be the pattern of life, walking worthy. The second thing uh, I want you all to to think about is, um, our question to ask is, are you aware of the fact that Christ, that God will glorify you when his son is glorified above all in his return? And if we are aware of that fact, I I pray that um, we will have greater joy that we will think about the glorification to come. And, and we're, we'll pursue it, pursue it, yes. But that will translate into a joy that affects us now, that causes us to live now for him, so that, so that Christ will be glorified above all. That we have joy. If I could end with one verse in 2 Corinthians 4, it says this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I pray that we can have a sort of a heavenly vision. We can look to the things that are eternal. We can walk worthy of those things that are eternal, knowing that one uh, one day when Christ does return, he's pleased. He's pleased. And that when you think about glorification, uh, we don't think of it as something that's just coming in the future and we just kind of sit there and wait for it. I pray that as we think about it, we also walk walk worthy. Let's Let's pray. Father God, we we know that your words are true. And Lord, we we thank you that that they are true. We know that there is going to be a day where your son will return. We are not waiting um, foolishly, believing a lie, but your son will come again. And so Lord, may we live in light of that. May we live in a manner that pleases you. May we be just full of joy knowing that we will be like your son one day. Although we are not there yet, we will be. Lord, may that, may that translate into to works of good, works of faith, endurance in the midst of light, momentary afflictions. Lord, we think of, of our brother John Turner, who is, um, well, we don't know exactly what 
is going on physically in his body. And we're just reminded on, on, on the day of glorification, um, everything will be made right, even in our bodies. But here and now, Lord, we, we think of John. And we ask, Lord, that you grant wisdom to the, the doctors or, and the nurses and whoever will be um, examining his body. May they see the consistency and the wonderfulness of, of your creation of, of us. And may they, may they see what's, what's going on. And Lord, we pray that, that it be your will to, to bring healing in, in, his, in his body and his life so that he can continue the work that you have called him to do. And we know, though, that that is your desire for us to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And so, Lord, we ask that you be with him, give him the strength to endure in, in his pain. And um, Lord, we pray that you bring healing. We also pray that you be with um, Jamie with the kids, the Jen, and the rest of the family, Lord, be with them, comfort them. Let them see and know that um, even though there's these crooked things in life, Lord, we know that you are working, and you're working in the manner that is good. So, Lord, may we trust in you more, and may we be comforted by the fact that you are, are doing a good thing here. And Lord, as we, as we leave um, this building um, this afternoon, I pray that we can just carry with us the, the good um, words that we've received from our brother Paul, um, remembering that you are present everywhere, that you're with us. And uh, Lord, may we see that you are not just with us, but you're working in us. And Lord, help us to, to live for your glory. Everything that we do, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.